0: I'm sorry to start on this sour note, but I wanted to start with a catastrophic event, unprecedented in history.
1: COVID?
0: No. The
1: Ukraine war?
0: No, Karen, I, I'm obviously talking about the All Blacks losing <laughs> a Home Series to Ireland. As a nation, we haven't been taking it all... That, well, there's been a kind of national rending of our robes, a gnashing of teeth. The project covered our collective grief in a special package it put together just with the aim of teaching all Blacks fans and I guess us as a nation how to cope with loss. And here's how that package began.
1: Flags were lowered and mass extinction was foretold. This
0: is going to destroy us as a culture. So that's that's from the, the the project's package. I want to clarify, apparently that flag might have been lowered because of the death of a referee. So it might not have been over the, the – the, that was outside the NZ Rugby headquarters in Wellington. It might not have been over the loss itself. But the last part of that clip was swiped from an All Blacks fan's social media account. People do believe this is going to destroy us. And the project went on to interview two Warriors fans about how to cope with the pain of defeat, which is – Patrick Gower noted in the show, probably marked a new low on top of the already new low for All Blacks, for the All Blacks.
1: Hayden, are you saying that the nation's overreacting?
0: I wouldn't dare suggest that the nation is overreacting here, partly because I'm worried that I'll be targeted for my own mass extinction event, (laughs) so-called... Maybe by RNZ columnist Jamie Wall, who wrote a pretty incendiary piece after the series loss, which called out fans for taking a laissez-faire approach to the All Blacks' decline in recent years. And he told them, you know, there is only one certainty about these people. They have got their wish. I guess that's referring to the All Blacks being bad and kind of sucking at rugby now. Uh, In his eyes, the widespread acceptance of rugby mediocrity amongst fans and administrators is what's led the All Blacks down this dark path of trodden, and there's been... Uh, that's one theory. There's been some other psychological theories that have been floated about there as to the reasons for the All Blacks demise on Morning Report. We had one listener floating the diagnosis that the team might have been playing worse because men have been questioned and criticised too much over the last two two or three years, you know, with Me Too and all that sort of stuff. And, I mean, uh, pre- presenter Kim Hill, filling in this week, was understandably sceptical about that suggestion. Sceptical is uh, uh, a good word. <laughs> <laughs> Skeptical is, is a euphemistic way of putting what, <laughs> her reaction to that one. Uh, one listener did write in and sort of sensibly point out that men in Ireland have also been questioned over the last couple of years, and they seem to have responded by absolutely pasting us at rugby. So apparently uh, the results of criticism may vary.
1: Well, wouldn't the players or, or the
0: rugby administrators be more to blame? I would say so. You think so, right? And to be fair to Jamie Wall and other commentators, they didn't just pin the blame on these, you know, fans that are too accepting of defeat. They identified NZ Rugby as the prime culprit, saying that it has let everything under the All Blacks wither and die, and then presented the team as some sort of infallible, unimpeachable group that can never be questioned. And so, can I just stop you there? It's, front,
1: hang on, it's let everything under the All Blacks wither and die.
0: That's Jamie Wall, and that's talking about, I guess, club rugby, you know, oh, the <laughs> stuff. <laughs> the bled is low cut. We don't care about the bled is low-calf anymore. Super rugby is kind of a farce or whatever, you know, all that sort of stuff. The, right. the, the real, the stuff that builds the All Blacks up and in the, 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 the infrastructure underpinning them has been able to, has been withering and dying, and that's a constant criticism of NZ rugby. So on that front, that, that's, that's something that's been backed by a whole bunch of other rugby commentators who have seem to have, though they're probably disappointed in the defeat, they're probably relishing the chance to take a swing at this organisation that many of them appear to really strongly resent and for good reason in NZ Rugby. So after the loss, RNZ's Hamish Bidwell Bidwell made a pretty frank entry, uncommonly frank entry on RNZ's live blog where he said, you know, the loss actually amuses him. And then he gave this insight on what it's like to cover the All Blacks under the... Well, watchful or perhaps vengeful eye of its PR handlers. He said reporters have had to bow and scrape before the All Blacks and put up with their, quote, talk of exceptionalism while not reporting anything negative about them for fear of, uh, quote, repercussions. And on Morning Report, current Dan made a similar report about the team's approach to communication, shall we say, comparing the power dynamics in the parliamentary press gallery to that on the All Blacks beat. So here's that. At Parliament the politicians they, you can ask them the most horrible, difficult questions, they've got to keep coming back. The All Blacks, the power is slightly different. It feels to me like the All Blacks have the a bit more of a power imbalance in the sense that they can well, they have blacklisted journalists before in the past.
1: Not anymore. Well momentarily. <laughs> well
0: momentarily blacklisting. <laughs> this is kind of journalists fight back. It's actually a really interesting um, the, this erosion of the All Blacks mythos has kind of is, uh, revealed some sort of pretty scummy stuff in the way that the, the the media has dealt with them, and it's kind of you know maybe picking the top off the scab. And uh, that's something that, this, at the spin-off Scotty Stevenson's been hammering pretty hard. He's taken aim at NZR's failings, and what he sees as its kind of unaccountable approach to PR. He's done a pair of biting tongue-in-cheek pieces, one of them headlined... Uh, next All Blacks test cancelled due to everyone being mean. And <laughs> that's, that's kind of a dig at the All Blacks media handler, Joe Malcolm, who cancelled a press conference with the team's coach, Ian Foster, before explaining that she thought the media was simply out for blood. And uh, look, these... Ra- <laughs> which is kind of, I mean, maybe they are, but kind of fair enough, I guess. They have to ask questions. This is a reasonably, as I say, unprecedented situation. But overall, these writers paint this picture of a bungling and unaccountable administration overseeing structural failings, and that does seem to be a much more credible cause for the All Blacks' decline than a lack of mental toughness from some supporters or the players or a rise in the criticism of men.
1: Well, you would say that, wouldn't you? You're one of the offending fans, aren't you? You didn't care enough about the All Blacks
0: slipping standards. Look, I, 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 I know that I seem like that. I know that I'm being a bit sarcastic here, but I'm, and I've made a few jokes. but I, And I do think some of the columns are probably over-egging it a bit, but I, I'm not. I can understand the emotion that fans are experiencing here. I'm an All Blacks fan. I get very upset about sports losses. I love the Phoenix Suns, who have never won an NBA championship and seem to go out of their way to cause their fans and me pain. I was so tense during the Black Caps, you know, momentous semi-final against South Africa in the Cricket World Cup that I experienced Grant Elliott's game-winning six through the medium of my wife reading out the live updates from Crick Info while I cowered (laughs) on the couch. Look, I mean, (laughs) lots of people aren't like that, and that's fine. But I do want to push back at some of this kind of sneering that we get. You know, the annoying thing isn't that non-sports fans don't get the agony. It's that they act like you're stupid for caring with their talk about sports ball and all that sort of stuff. There's nothing more annoying than someone who doesn't care about sports snoodily sneering at you for wanting to win what they consider to be a stupid game. Look, no one asked you guys to care about it. It's fine. You don't have to care about it. But... But not everyone does spend their time, you know, reading long form articles on Esquire or ruminating on modern art or something. You, 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 the way that you, the things that you care about, me, don't like, don't write
1: of, me into this. I don't know about you, <laughs> Ka- <laughs> you
0: general. You, they're not the divinely ordained, you know, things that you have to care about. And people are allowed to care about rugby. And the way that maybe you care about changes to the schedule of R and Z concert. I mean, uh, ha- having said that. I do. I want to say I see some upsides to the All Blacks getting beaten. I
1: and mean, are you sure? What is the upside to getting trounced by Ireland ahead of the World Cup?
0: So, odd segue here, but bear with me. So, when I, when I was brought up Christian, one of the things I found very theologically troubling was the concept of a heaven that was meant to be an infinity of unrelenting joy. And I wondered if that's possible. If there's nothing but joy, doesn't it cease being joy and just become the norm? Right. Couldn't mm. the joy of heaven actually become a prison or even its own kind of hell? Mm. And here's where I'm going to link it back. For a decade, being an All Blacks fan became a bit too much like that heaven of infinite joy, right? It was hard to find too much happiness in the wins because they were expected, and even resounding victories were met with this mostly begrudging, well done, maybe some criticisms and, you know, 7 out of 10 from Chris Rattu in The Herald for the player, You know, like, joy was so commonplace, it was hardly joy anymore by the end. It was pretty humdrum. And so, I mean, I actually went back all the way through the archives to 2019. This is Grant Nisbet announcing that the All Blacks had just thrashed Australia to retain the Bledisloe Cup.
1: That'll do. That'll do. All Blacks hang on with the Bledisloe Cup in decisive faction here at Eden Park tonight. The record stays intact. 36
0: points to nil. (laughs) That'll do. That'll do. That'll do. <laughs> you know? We'll like, take it. England, <laughs> England, England, England football fans would hold a, a bank holiday if they won so much as a ham sandwich. You know, like, <laughs> there, there, are, there are fan bases that are dying for any scrap of joy, and we just had too much we were gluttonous for it. So, I mean, the team's rare losses, on the other hand, were pretty genuinely upsetting during this time. Like, It felt like the firmament of the world had been shaken. So that's what, actually, they those, these Warriors fans talked about on the project, and this is Peter Ehrlich uh, talking on the project about that. They built a crystal
1: ship that it won one loss and you've sprung a leak. What's Peter Ehrlich it, doing on the project to start with? He's a Warriors fan.
0: He's, a <laughs> Warri- he's not. It's not just all your music. He, he likes sport too, so he's like me. He likes music and sport. Um, so, I mean, that's a philosophical, poetic way of putting it, right? There's an upside to this downturn. You know, maybe All Blacks fans will realise that joy and true joy – exists in relationship with sadness things may look all black at the moment but that will make the light when it does appear all the more vivid
1: oh my goodness chiaroscuro all right uh, from oh, on, no. from on, on field violence to political violence comedian guy williams he got criticized for sparring on screen with leo malloy
0: that's right uh sparring literally and metaphorically. If you didn't catch the latest episode of NZ today, it had this riveting, highly aggressive interview between Guy Williams and Auckland mural candidate Leo Malloy, followed by a boxing match between Guy Williams and Leo Malloy. Now, I'll, I'll play the interview first. Here's about the only snippet I could find that didn't have a swear word in it, either from the host or the candidate, but it will give you at least a flavour of proceedings. I did a wee bit of research on you, and you're clearly desperately woke what's wrong with being woke woke have monopolized the media for quite some time now but in- they haven't though like donald trump was the president are we was talking the who's, a, who's the director here you're the director matt let's get a talking stick or something <laughs> that was the beginning of the interview. things went rapidly downhill from there i was it trying was to work
1: out it <laughs> sorry i was just I was trying to work out who was talking who was accusing was who Malloy. yeah no i know who Leo was accusing. Malloy saying
0: shut up guy williams you're too woke Yes, Guy Williams is too woke, and Leo Malloy asking for a talking stick, so Guy Williams will stop interrupting. him. <laughs> I mean it was pretty highly unusual, and it ended with um this boxing match between Williams and Malloy outside Malloy's bar, which Williams somehow lost between twi- despite being you know twice his opponent's size and half his age. I think mm. that was really just-
1: useless so what's their reaction been
0: like uh not uniformly positive, but it- perhaps the negativity hasn't come from the quarters you'd expect. Maybe you'd think Leo Malloy would feel like he'd been, had the wool pulled over his eyes or something. But I mean, many people who support other candidates in the race have said that Williams essentially gave Malloy free PR with this segment. And their argument is that didn't really contend with some of the stuff that makes him unsuitable for office. And will go over well with that show's audience, the NZ today audience who might just think, Oh, pretty classic. Good on him for, you know, going along with it. And, One politically connected person in local politics said to me that Williams had just gifted Malloy 30,000 votes. I don't know about that, but that's quite a few in local elections. And the spin-offs editor, Madeline Chapman, she interviewed Guy Williams and put it to him that he had just aired a 13-minute promotional segment for the candidate. And the comparison that a lot of these people are making is to that infamous Jimmy Fallon. I don't know if you remember this. It was back when Donald Trump was a candidate, but Jimmy Fallon, The U.S. talk show host did this interview with him where he tussled Donald Trump's hair and palled around with him and generally glossed over the less appealing parts of his character. And it was sort of this kind of normalising thing.
1: Do do you think that's a a fair comparison?
0: Uh. Not really, or at least not completely. I mean, Leo Malloy has made a number of offensive public statements and proposed some pretty harmful policy positions, like he's advocated for spraying people begging in the city centre with water, which I imagine he thinks will be some sort of solution to a problem, but in reality will just ensure people in dire straits are also cold and wet. He's made... Disrespectful comments about gay people telling Heather Duplessis Allen that, you know, we're not talking about a subterranean gay bar on K Road where people swap DNA in the middle of the night and other materials. End quote. And that was him <laughs> what? arguing for why <laughs> yeah, that was him arguing for why his bar should remain open despite COVID restrictions while what? others, I guess, should shut.
1: Where is that subterranean gay bar on K Road? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
0: I, 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 I imagine that he had some in mind, but look, I won't, I won't name the names. I guess that he said that he's regretted those comments, and those offences aren't quite on the level of Trump's open racism or his confession to committing sexual assault. But it is a patchy record at best, and maybe. If, I think if Guy Williams did anything wrong, it's that he didn't put that stuff to him, and it, he might not have even researched it. And maybe if he researched it a bit better, that would have been a better interview. At the same time, it wasn't exactly a Jimmy Fallon-style walkover. You know, Guy Williams did challenge Malloy on several things. He repeatedly said he wasn't suitable for mayor, And Malloy's behavior in the interview while comedic was pretty revealing, and that's what Jack Tame, the news talk host, noted in a column for the Herald saying, if NZ Today helps Malloy and prov- proves to be a turning point in the campaign, voters will frankly be electing the mayor they deserve. So, yeah, that was how he put it. I mean, it, Patrick Gower, I won't play this clip, but Patrick Gower said a similar thing on the project, and he, he praised Guy Williams for his interview, and even Guy Williams was uncomfortable with that endorsement. But uh, it, I, I think... Maybe the critics were right. The interview probably did boost Malloy on balance, and that wasn't ideal, In that other mayoral candidates don't get the same opportunity. But it's a comedy show, not RNZ's election coverage, and the freakout probably says more about the problems with local government than with Guy Williams, to be honest.
1: Why? What, what does it say about RNZ's coverage of local government?
0: <laughs> or coverage of local government in general? Nothing good. Look, the thing is, the reason why people are freaking out is because because only 35% of Aucklanders voted. In the last local elections, and the people that did were disproportionately older, wealthy, party hard, just as they were around the country. And you know, in his interview with Guy Williams, Malloy said, "If you're talking about me, I'm winning." And some journalists have disputed that, saying, "Look, we talked about Jamie Lee Ross, and that didn't work out too well for him." But maybe Malloy's onto something with those turnout numbers. You know, a few thousand people thinking a candidate put in a pretty classic performance on Inza today. And actually deciding to vote instead of not voting might actually make a huge difference given the small numbers of people who actually bother to send in a postal ballot. I mean, at the moment, uh, we're asking questions about Guy Williams' journalistic style, but he's a comedian and a sort of a self-described volunteer journalist, not a professional. And maybe if the media paid more attention to local democracy, voted more lively and in-depth coverage to it, we wouldn't be counting on Guy Williams to deliver election-defining interviews and – But perhaps we should be even looking deeper than that. Like, if we're running an election, a democratic system, that can be shaped by one joke interview on a late-night TV show, doesn't that show that that system itself is desperately in need of reform at Mm, the risk of getting political?
1: Right, (laughs) hey, we've got a few minutes, so we'll um, wrap up with this case involving
0: the toy company Zuru. David Farrier's blog, uh, Webworm, reported this week that a US judge has ordered the anonymous review site Glassdoor to reveal the identities of two people who left negative reviews about Zuru on its service, and they have to reveal that, that there are those identities to Zuru, and that's concerning on its own, for privacy reasons, but the justification for the decision is even more revealing, because the judge in that case said that they had to release those identities because Zuru plans to sue the reviewers for defamation in New Zealand. And why is that revealing? Well, in its response to the ruling, in Glassdoor, its criticism was that this was effectively decided under New Zealand law. So it's saying... Basically, it believes there would be no case to answer in the US, which for all its laws has strong protections of free speech enshrined in its constitution. But in New Zealand, defamation law is much more lax allowing people to sue for almost anything that could be seen as damaging to their public standing and allowing a much more limited range of defences. So that allowed this privacy breach to happen, the fact that our defamation laws are so stringent. And so we have Leo Malloy or others talking about people being too woke or comedians not being allowed to be casually racist anymore. uh, But if we're actually wanting to identify a serious threat, threat to free speech in New Zealand, this is it. I mean... Get on, get on your horses, Free Speech Union. Why, why are you concentrating on Stephen Molyneux being able to say racist stuff in council venues? This is actually a problem. So that's uh, something that the lawyer, Graeme Edgler, said uh, in a Media Watch interview back in 2020, that our defamation law just doesn't give enough protection to people to uh, uh, you know, give their simple opinion, and it sets up the bar too low for people, um, for taking a case against people for defamation and they also give
1: a huge advantage to people who can either afford to take or defend legal action, right?
0: Exactly. So this is the problem that this advantage is the privilege, and the privilege that can afford a lawyer and a defamation lawyer. This this isn't just something that affects anonymous reviewers on Glassdoor either. Plenty of newsrooms have been scared off stories, or at least frightened into heavily editing or anonymising stories. Not because they're not true, but because the threat of defamation action is so great and the cost of defending that action is so high that it's just not worth it for them financially. And it's even worse if you're just a normal person who can't afford a lawyer at all. It affords protection to the privileged because they can use the threat of legal action to silence those who might criticism, even if it's not justified legal action. And we've seen that with the billionaire Bob Jones. He sued the filmmaker Renee Myhee for calling him a racist, or Colin Craig, who put his former press secretary, Rachel McGregor, through a series of ruinous legal battles. And Zuru is really just the latest rich litigant to use our defamation system to bully its critics into silence, and it won't be the last. I mean, like local government, <laughs> it seems like this. Uh, our defamation law is definitely another system that's in need of reform.
1: Very good. Thank you very much, Hayden, for the laugh. I shouldn't be laughing about the rugby defeat, but it was very amusing, so thank you.
0: (laughs) Can't believe you were amused as well. (laughs) No, at you. Not the losses. Okay, okay. okay. I'm glad that you clarified that.